and welcome to Academy of Blues. Well, the Festival of Football has come to an end for the Premier League, but not for Chelsea and not for us here at Academy of Blues. In today's show, we'll be discussing a bit of Wolves, a bit more of Arsenal, and a big bit of Chelsea in a review, preview, and season review of the Mighty Blues. My name is Daniel Gonzalez, and I am your host for today's episode. Joining me is a man who rivals Espilicueta for appearance records, Lampard for analysis, and Zuma for goal reactions. It's Matty Christos. How are you, Maddie? Man, I was doing well, but now with that intro, I am over the moon. <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I just thought that thinking about Zuma and seeing his face, seeing happy Kurt Zuma, is uh, that puts a smile on anybody's face, especially yes. before the start, start of a, a celebration of a show, I think, because it's been a pretty good season. I think it's been a great season, and... I am so glad that we are over it because if the, if there was ever a transitional season, this was it for us. And as far as transitional seasons go, I don't think it can get any better than what we've done. Yeah, it's been pretty smooth sailing, all things considered. I mean, when you compare it to, say, Arsenal after Wenger left and United after Sir Alex Ferguson left, it's not been that bad for Chelsea this season. Not at all. Um, we've got a club legend back and leading the team. And I think when you think about a transitional season, it, it's almost like bringing in an interim manager and it's just, okay, for this certain period of time, let's just make sure that things really don't go awfully. Let's just survive. Let's just, you know, let's just be. But with Chelsea bringing in Frank Lampard, it, you know, the goal of the season could have been that. We don't know. We don't know the conversations they had with him early on. The conversation could have been, Frank, just make sure we don't get relegated. Or, Frank, just make sure we finish in the top 10 in the Premier League. But to come to find out, we finished where we finished in the league, qualifying for next season's Champions League, to think about how we're in the FA Cup final against and, and playing against a team that I think we, we will definitely be able to beat. And on top of that, when you hear about players like Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner and I believe soon, Kai Havertz, when you hear them talking about how Frank Lampard and this project that Chelsea is on was something very exciting to them and it lured them in when they had, you know, I mean, these are guys that could have played for pretty much any club in the world, any top club in the world. And so, um, again, it doesn't get any better than this as far as transitional seasons go. Well, you just did a a sort of mini preview of the whole episode right there. So that was pretty great as it is. You're just excited about how this podcast is going to go, how Chelsea in the future is going to go. It's all going to go great. I got to tell you, one of my here. favorite things in life is talking about how great Frank Lampard is doing. I mean, I know he's like almost 20 years older than I am, but he's <laughs> like my son and I'm proud of him. And so I'm going to go around the world and brag about how great he's doing. If that's the case, then Mason Mount must surely be your grandson of sorts. Absolutely. My <laughs> Yeah, let's call it that. He needs to get rid of that silly mustache or silly beard that's on his face, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Well, to give a little bit of structure to this, instead of us just rambling on about how great Chelsea is for about an hour, uh, how about we start with uh, 
the very first thing is uh, the Wolves game. I remember predicting a 3-3. I could not be further from the truth. I was totally off on that. And what happened was actually a relatively drama-free final day of the season. And we comfortably saw out a 2-0 victory. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't, you know, waited a week to see the game. <laughs> right. Let's face it. If you haven't watched it by now, you're not going to watch it. <laughs> How do you feel about the Wolves game? What's your biggest impression coming out of that Wolves game, Maddie? My biggest impression was exactly that. Um, this Chelsea team, I have to say, they've done terribly um, in games that you expect them to win and games that you expect for them to, to just have a stroll in the park. But this team has done extremely well in the big games. Now, when you think about Wolves, they're not necessarily a, you know a, a top six opponent. They're not necessarily one of the biggest teams in the league, but they've done exceptionally well. They've beaten the likes of Tottenham. They've beaten the likes of Man City. I believe they did the double over Man City. Uh, they did extremely well against Liverpool. So when you think about that, this was and could have been easily a game that that, that was very nervy. And, and also Wolves was one of those teams that was just designed to hurt us because they played with almost five in the back. They played on the counterattack. They had a big center forward who would, you know, who you would expect to bully our center backs. And they're extremely good at set pieces. And so this was a game that for so many different reasons, I was very nervous about. And I think many Chelsea fans were also uh, nervous about this game going into this weekend and going into Sunday to realize that we had just like pretty much just three minutes of absolute brilliance that ended up sealing the fate of the game. That, that was that was really cool to experience. And then the second half was extremely enjoyable for me because Chelsea were just under so much control of the game and Wolves really didn't turn up for this game. No, I mean, it came down to a Mason Mount, great, I mean, a perfect free kick from Mason Mount and and a Giroud, just hardworking goal. That was a... That was a striker's goal, if I ever saw any right there, because there is a great pass over the top to get to him or through the middle. Does it go over the top? I can't quite remember. No, it, it goes right down the middle. It was mm-hmm. it was a Wolves free kick that they just hoof up the field. And I think Kurt Zuma wins it. Jorginho picks it up and he slides it to Pulisic, who kind of gets tackled by a Wolves player. But right before he does, he slides it into the path of Mesa Mount, and with one touch, he sets up Olivier Giroud. The cool thing about that goal was that it's not a goal that you associate with Olivier Giroud. Most of his goals are just one-touch finishes, whether it's in the air or if it's on the ground. Somebody sets it up for him, he's in the right place at the right time, and he just finishes it. But with this one, uh, he goes around the keeper, or he goes past the keeper, and in a very weird way, somehow the ball evades... I believe it was Willie Bowley, and he like slides and, and gets it in. Um, what I enjoyed about this goal was this is the kind of goal that you associate with a very, you know, quick forward, somebody who is lightning fast, like uh, Marcus Rashford or uh, Timo Werner. Timo Werner. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw goals like that from Timo Werner, but uh, it, it was, you know, 33-year-old Olivier Giroud who uh, made this incredible goal. So, that was a nice French touch to that. Yeah, thanks. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, he's been fantastic, so it would do him a disservice to mispronounce <laughs> his name. I mean, I'm probably mispronouncing it as I'm saying it in French, but... It's a I staple tried. of our show, though. we got to yeah. mispronounce something once a show. <laughs> exactly. The great thing about that goal is 
I remember seeing him through on goal and then thinking, ah, oh, this is great. You know, I had this like high of like, oh, it's a great chance. And then he kind of rounds the keeper and you can see him. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm going to ruin it. It's their captain. Uh, oh, I think it was uh, Connor Cody. Cody. Is that how you say it? There's an A in there. there but, yeah, there's uh, an A in there. But that's just because he doesn't know how to spell his last name. Oh, yeah. It's, just, it's and, on and, him. It's and, not and on he, us. And neither does the kit man. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, he get he kind of is like closer to the ball, but somehow he gets wrong footed or he's like not expecting it, and somehow Drew gets a touch to the ball and manages to send it into the net. And it's one of those goals where I had lost all hope for it. It was kind of like, okay, this move broke down, and before I even realized it, the ball was in the back of the net. And I think it was the same for everybody. Nobody realized that Drew could still get to that except for him. Yeah, and you could see as soon as he scored it, the look on his face was that of like, you know, it just looked like somebody who really worked hard for their goal and they were rewarded for it. And his look just said it all. I mean, after that, not much really happens in the rest of this game. The only the only other standout thing I could think of is Adama Traore coming on and scaring the living bejesus out of me for about 30 seconds before yeah. kind of regressing for the rest of the game. I heard, and, and you might enjoy this because I know you're a Dwayne The Rock Johnson fan. I am. And, and there's a running joke in The Fast and Furious about him putting baby oil on. Um, but <laughs> oh. I, don't know, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that some of the physio on the, or the trainers on the Wolves team put baby oil on Adama Traore so that defenders can't grab him and slow him down, which Whoa. sounds to me like it should it be illegal sense. in a soccer game, but mm. at the same time, it hasn't been done yet, so it's not illegal. Well, if you think about it, Traore's main asset is that he's fast. Like, that's the biggest thing he's got going for him. Right. And he wears those skin-tight shirts so that nobody can grab his shirt and pull him back. That makes so, sense. So, you know, he's got the baby oil, he's got the skin-tight shirt. And he's got those Maradona shorts, too, that are just like... <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no part of him you can grab. It's all I slippery. Have, it's all Yeah, tight. I have to say, he's, he's a fantastic footballer to watch because there's no one else like him you know he doesn't he doesn't look like he's built to play soccer at all he should no. be either in wrestling or or some other olympic sport where you know their physicality is their main thing right but, but after you know after that little brief stint i don't i don't know if you remember but there's like that there's a little pause where he like kind of runs past like three chelsea players at the same time and that's scary because he's definitely the scariest player on their team for chelsea because he can he's fast He's against uh, Mark Alonso on that his right or left, and Mark Alonso is not known for his speed. So once that happened, I thought that 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 would be a dangerous part of their game, but it it ended up fizzling out, and we saw that game fairly comfortably, which is not the story of the season so far. Yeah, and okay, so last week in our episode, we talked about whether Frank Lampard should go with Kepa Arita Balaga, or he should go with Willy Caballero. And he went with Willy Caballero, which I think was the right decision. Uh, I also think it's the biggest statement that he's made when it comes to Kepa Arita Balaga and how he feels about him and how he pretty much doesn't have a future at the club anymore. Because when you have your one last game to either get into the Champions League or get out of it for next season and you pick, you, you bench your $70 million or 70 million euro keeper and go for a 39-year-old backup that's saying a lot but i will say this in the last game that willy caballero played in uh we won three to one and defensively that that was one of our best performances since the restart and again when he was brought onto the field uh, against wolves defensively we were extremely solid 
So I do think that the having the right keeper or having a keeper that the backline has a lot of confidence in plays a huge role. And so I feel like though Wolves didn't have uh, more than one or two shots on target in the game, I feel like if they had, if Chelsea had Kepa Aretha Balaga in goal, I don't think that our backline would have been as confident. And so therefore they would have been more error prone and more uh, likely to make bad decisions that would have led to Wolves opportunities. And especially in the second half with somebody like Adama Traore just picking the ball up in his own penalty area and just running it down the field like nobody's there. That would have been costly for us. But I think that Frank Lampard did get his selections right. And the biggest of them all was probably choosing to play Willy Caballero instead of Kepa Aretha Balaga. Yeah, well, if if all kind of rumors circulating about Chelsea looking at keepers are to be believed, it sounds like with some luck for the board, it, it sounds like this we're not going to see Kepa ever again in a Chelsea jersey. Kepa is just completely shot for confidence. And I think his ability is there, but he does not have any confidence. And I don't know what that is. I, I really don't. But to me, to spend as much as we're spending when it comes to Ziyech and Havertz and Timo Werner and whoever else we're going to get, if we do all that and keep him in goal, it's a huge risk. It's a huge risk because everything that we're doing in the transfer market can potentially be undone by a keeper who who doesn't have gloves. Everything just goes right through him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm the same way. I was, I mean, at the start of the show, I was also, def- I was excited to see Kepa coming back because he seemed like he was showing some confidence in some form before the uh, before the big break happened, uh, but he doesn't seem to have found it his confidence again since the restart, and we've seen this before with players like Barata, where you can see that the skill is there and you can see that they definitely know how to play the game. And, you know, there's some people out there say like, you know, Kepa doesn't know how to keep like his goal. He doesn't know how to like move. He doesn't know do this stuff. And it's not true because we've seen Kepa have great games and we've seen him play still like play amazingly. And I'm, I'm specifically the standout moment to me for Kepa is the penalty shootout against a German team. Is it Frankfurt in uh, the Europa League last yep. season? Yep. Frankfurt. Where... He saved us that game with that with that penalty shootout, and there's that one penalty kick that goes right down the middle, and he stands there and he saves it with his legs. Granted, standing in one spot seems to be what Keppa is the best at at the moment. <laughs> well said. But... You just had <laughs> to say that, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I did. Keppa Aretha Malaga. <laughs> Unfortunately, and I wanted to root for him. You know, I wanted him to do great, but it seems like if he's going to find his confidence again, it's not going to be at Chelsea. I thought that it was ironic that one of the highest scoring games of the Premier League season this season involved two of the most expensive goalkeepers in Allison and Kepa uh, <laughs> last Wednesday. Yeah. Pretty wild. That was. Oh, man. If you but told we, me at the beginning of the season we'd have a 5-3 game with Liverpool, I would take it. That sounds like a great game. Yeah. And in hindsight, knowing that we made it into the Champions League, fantastic game. To see what Christian Pulisic did. Oh, and here is my plug for... Christian Pulisic for the Ballon d'Or, which he got robbed this year. Whatever. Well, one quick note is that uh, Pulisic did have a quiet game. He really didn't do much. In a, in a comfortable win, he wasn't. his touch was kind of off. His passing was kind of off. And that's to be expected. He's still pretty young, and he's still finding his feet at this point. Uh, and he's going to have these great games, and he's going to have slow games. Hazard did it for Chelsea. At times, there'd be games where he disappeared, so I'm not too worried about it. And this is a result that ultimately, as you said earlier, or actually... You didn't say that on the podcast, huh? You said that before we started the recording. 
I don't know. This result didn't matter. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying, so maybe I did, yeah. maybe I didn't. We'll I forget which conversations we have on and off recording. Who knows yeah. anymore? <laughs> yeah, ultimately, this, this result didn't mean much because United won their game against Leicester, so we would have been in the same place anyway, still, still qualifying. But it was an important game for morale, especially going into the FA Cup final against Arsenal, because if we had lost this game, it would have gone into the final with like kind of lower morale. But we kept a clean sheet, comfortable win and i think the players are confident going into that next game especially when caballero is going to be behind them again uh indeed quickly going back to that pulisic point i think he was just so bummed that he's not going to win the ballon d'or this year that's why he had a quiet <laughs> game against wolves but you're really pushing for it <laughs> yeah, but you're going like campaign to, going back to with pulisic for me this this is the thing Okay, it's not that I live in America and he's American. That's not the real reason why I'm. You don't even really support the U.S. national team that much, do you? I I don't, and I'm going to lose all of my three (laughs) followers now that put that out there. But to me, I think Pulisic truly has the potential to become the, the you know the next iteration of Eden Hazard for us, and and I know that maybe that's not what we need, but. I, I'm talking about it in the sense that Eden Hazard just had this grace about him when he was playing that you can tell he was just a man out there having fun on the field. And that makes people fall in love with the game. And there are a few players who have that quality. For me, Ronaldinho is one of them. Lionel Messi is one of them. Eden Hazard was definitely one of them. Zinedine Zidane was one of them. And I think, I'm not saying Pulisic is there, but I think he has the uh, capacity and, the, and he has the potential to be that player. And when you think about it, especially with the fact that he's from a nation that, you know, where soccer really is, I think, the fifth or sixth sport in the country, to have a player like that going out there and making people fall in love with the game, that's going to be huge in the future. So I'm just, people say they're lucky to be living in the era where Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo are playing. I say we're lucky to be watching the game during the Pulisic era. So I can't wait to see Pulisic score 100 goals in a single season. It's coming. It's coming. Just you wait. No, I am glad that you don't follow the U.S. national team because I do. And, you know, despite the ups and downs, I'm still trying to, despite not qualifying for the World Cup, I still want them to do well. But it's good to hear you sing the praises of Pulisic as a person who doesn't fully support them or, you know. You're just putting all my pieces out there today. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that, but, uh, that's fine. You know, oh. it's it's it makes you more trustworthy because, you know, if a na- U.S. national team fan, you know, sings his praises, it's like, okay, you're American, he's American, you know, it's hard to kind of trust your opinion on him. But I'm glad that we have that yeah. dynamic here. Yeah, you know, you're the one who will blindly just, like, have faith in him, and I'll have <laughs> faith in him for reasonable things. So... <laughs> Going back to your point about the role that confidence is going to play in us securing a Champions League spot with a win against Wolves, even though the result was irrelevant, um, I think that's another thing that just proves that this team, uh, they can be trusted in big games. They can be trusted when things are a little bit nervy. And that actually makes me extremely hopeful uh, for this Saturday against Arsenal because I cannot think of one big game where we actually didn't turn up this season. You think about... You know, even the Man United game where we lost 4 nothing, it's crazy to say, but we were the better team on that day. They just had four incredible counterattacks that went their way. Of course, we gave them one contractually obliged penalty. Um, 
and not many people know this, but on the first day of the season, we gave him a penalty, and Bruno Fernandes flew from Portugal, scored the penalty, and went back to Sporting Lisbon. <laughs> people don't know this, but anyways, I think that we've done extremely well in big games when this team has been called upon. I think with the exception being our first leg against Bayern Munich in the Champions League uh, round of 16. That was definitely a horror show. Other than that, we haven't had that. So I say all that to say that this team really did itself a lot of favors in the run-up to the FA Cup final that we're gonna be witnessing this Saturday. And we are back with a, uh, we're going to do a, a preview of the Arsenal FA Cup final, which I never thought I'd be saying at the beginning of this season. Uh, we, I, I'm, I'm up and down about this because we have beat, in the run-up to this FA Cup final, we have beat Leicester, we beat Liverpool, and we beat Man United, which is fantastic. But Arsenal did beat Manchester City in their semi-final with a pretty good performance, a 2-0 win over them. And, you know, Arsenal are hot and cold at the moment and all the time. They can, you know, go on and, like, lose 6-0 to some, you know, random team from the from League 2. And then they can come back and beat Manchester City. David Luiz could be, like, Puyol one second and Sideshow Bob another one. So yeah, I really have no idea what's going to happen. How, how are you feeling about this FA Cup? Uh, I'm feeling confident because one thing uh, we know about David Luiz is he's Chelsea through and through. So, you know... <laughs> He's either going to give up a penalty or get a red card, or both, hopefully. Um, I don't know if I want to bring back your memories to a certain PSG match uh, that Chelsea and Chelsea and PSG in the Champions League. Oh, yeah, but he wasn't Chelsea through and through at the time. He was only Chelsea through. He didn't have the second through there uh, because he had only that was his first after his first spell at Chelsea. So he could be forgiven for that. And also coming back and winning the league title. Uh, with Antonio Conte in, in that incredible season. That that was a lot. And so I would say I'm confident going into this game. And the reason being, I think that Arsenal have, Arsenal pretty much have only one way that they can score currently. And that is through a counterattack where Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang gets on the end of it. And uh, off the top of my head, trying to think about how many goals Aubameyang has scored against Chelsea. And it's not very many. I can't actually remember him scoring any against us. Um, now, I could be wrong, and maybe he scored in every single game he's played against us, <laughs> but I don't remember any of them. So there's that. But I yeah, it doesn't matter. I can't actually remember Aubameyang having a great game against us. And so because of that, I feel confident. Because of the fact that we beat Wolves 2-0, I feel confident. And then the, the final thing is this is so reminiscent of last season and how it ended. Think about it. Absolutely. Conte out leading up to the final. He's playing with like half a leg and he puts on the performance of his life, right? Then uh, that final in Baku, Olivier Giroud was our starting st striker. He's probably going to be it again today and he's uh, on Saturday and he's on probably going to score against them because he's been on an incredible run of form. Then you think about how in that game, or, or the game of Baku in the Europa League final, we had just secured 
Champions League, and they needed to win that in order to get into a, into the Champions League. But they didn't turn up at all. Instead, we won that game too. And in this game, we have uh, we have already secured Champions League. They do not have a European spot. If they beat us, they do get into a European spot. But I have a feeling that that's going to be too much of an occasion for them, and I don't think that they're going to turn up. The other thing that 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 I think about when we compare Chelsea and Arsenal is the fact that we have a we just have a, a generally better squad. We really do. When you go top to bottom, we have a better player in almost every single department than they do, with the exception of Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. I don't think there is a single Chelsea player that I trade for any one of those guys at Arsenal again, with the exception of um, Aubameyang. Maybe I would trade uh, what's his name, whatever. His first name is Tierney with Marcus Alonso. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. The the left back? The left back. Other than that, I think that we have a much better squad. And with all the substitutions that can be made, etc., um, I think that we have a, a better chance against them. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a big occasion. Chelsea are known for the big occasion. Arsenal isn't exactly known for showing up at those at the most important of times. So confidence is there. But as we know with this Chelsea team, you know, it's hot and cold which one can show up any other day. And it makes this game pretty hard to predict going into it because both teams have a history of, you know, flipping between amazing and world-class one day and just, you know, relegation tier the next day. So it's going to be an interesting watch on that uh, on that day. I really have no idea. If you're going to throw out a score prediction, you know, just off the top of your head, what do you think it's going to be? 2-1 Chelsea. Okay, I have one more question for you about this game. All right. So uh, Lampard has, by all accounts, exceeded expectations. Uh, uh, I, you were telling me before this recording, but how many how many journalists and you know pundits did you look at uh, about uh, predictions for Chelsea this season? Yeah, at the very start. I, I think last week I mentioned to you that, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned to you that one of the things that I just enjoy doing because I'm a sick person is I like going back to the very beginning of the season and listening to podcasts, looking at different publications on newspapers or websites about the upcoming season's predictions. And so I went back to last August and saw, you know, what people in The Guardian and Sky Sports and Bleacher Report and all those guys who were considered the top pundits, what they all were predicting um, for the season. And most people predicted that Man City would win the league. They were wrong. Most, And then some of the other people predicted that Liverpool would win the league. They were right. But beyond that... Looking at, you know, third and fourth and fifth and sixth place, out of 29 different predictions that I looked at, only three thought that Chelsea would finish in the top four. And all three of those were former Chelsea players. I think a few weeks into the season, Joseph Mourinho came out and said that he worries for Chelsea in the big games. Well, you know, Frank Lampard ended up beating a Jurgen Klopp team, a Pep Guardiola team, a uh, Solskjaer team, a Brendan Rodgers team in Leicester, a Wolves team, an Arsenal team. There's almost no big team that he didn't beat except for Chris Wilder. Now, Chris Wilder is another level, so we don't talk about that. Yeah, we don't talk about Chris Wilder here. Yeah, but he did that. And then Steve Nicole on ESPN FC, who I personally think should never be brought on as a pundit on ESPN FC ever again because he's a joke. (laughs) He looked at Frank Lampard and he said that his first season is a disaster waiting to happen. And and I know that that was a very extreme thing that he said. But on some level, everyone expected that out of Chelsea, except for some Chelsea fans. To be fair, 
there were a lot of Chelsea fans who thought at one point or another that this season would be a disaster as well, especially with how it started with the 4-0 loss against Man United and the 1-1 draw against Leicester and then Sheffield United. For me, I was never, ever confident that we would get a fourth place finish up until I think once we hit like December and January, I was like, we have to get it at this point because because we've been in it for so long and all the other teams are just garbage this season. But if we're being honest, a lot of Chelsea fans also didn't think that this team would do as well as it did. So, yes, by all accounts, Frank Lampard did exceed expectations. Um, maybe not the expectations that he set for himself, because goodness knows what that was. And, and maybe not the expectations that the board set for him as well. Because, again, we don't know what that is. But he absolutely did. And this Chelsea team, and it's not just him, right? Because it's you have all these Chelsea players who... Last season, they were playing either in the championship or on loan somewhere else. Um, you have all these uh, coaches and his, his 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 entire coaching staff that is pretty much brand new to Premier League coaching. Uh, and they all did well. They they outshone the likes of Man United, Spurs, and, and Arsenal. When you think about how Chelsea and Man United finished on level points, and Man United spent $200 million across the season because they had spent... Um, they had spent 150 in the summer with Harry Maguire, Aaron Wan Visaka, Daniel James. And then they added Igalo and Bruno Fernandez in the winter market. And they spent 200 million that we didn't get to spend. And we finished level on points with them. That's that's definitely above expectations. Yeah. Absolutely. So <laughs> with with all of that, with all that above expectations that Frank has achieved so far this season. Do you think the what do you think he's seeing this FA Cup as? Do you think he sees it as something that he needs to get in the season to kind of prove himself as a manager, or do you think he's already proved himself at this point? And the FA Cup would be like a cherry on top, just kind of like his first trophy, his first season with the club. How how important do you think it is that he gets this trophy? I think I actually think it's more important than what most people will admit to. Not because his job de- it depends on winning a trophy in the first season. I don't think like if Chelsea lose this FA Cup final, his job is not going to be threatened by any means. If he was another manager, possible. But Frank Lampard, I don't think that that'll be the case. However, I do think that this is incredibly important because um, let's go back to the Jose Mourinho era way back when. Jose Mourinho had this mentality, uh, this incredible winning mentality where he said the first available trophy of the season, the team has to win it. And so in the League Cup or the Carabao Cup now, when teams would play weaker teams and teams would play absolute, you know, a backup lineup, Jose Mourinho would actually keep most of his starting lineup in it and, and rotate a few players. He would keep the likes of Frank Lampard and DJ Drogba and Arjen Robben at the time. He would keep them on the bench just in case he needed to completely change the, um, the, the outcome of the game halfway through. And the reason for it was because that first trophy of the season gives an incredible boost to the team. And, 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 and you see it. it. When he first arrived at Chelsea, they won the League Cup in February. Go, they go on to win the league. And they were an incredibly resilient team. Um, when he comes back the second time, he doesn't win the, anything the first season. But then when he does have the squad that he wanted to have, he wins the League Cup first and then goes on to win the league. Um, and so in the same way, when you look at the likes of Mason Mount, Reese James, Fakaya Tomori, um, I, I would even put Billy Gilmore in there, but Tammy Abraham, um, who else am I forgetting? 
who's whose first season with us is now. Callum Hudson. Reese James. Just say Reese James. I said, said Reese James, but Callum Hudson Odoi was also in the team last year. But these guys have grown up winning the FA Cup at youth level. I think they won like five or six in a row, if I remember correct. Now they have an opportunity to win um, the FA Cup on a men's level. And if they do that now, as young as they are, and it's going to give them an incredible lift because because these guys will go into the summer knowing that they have that winning mentality that they learn in the academy, that their manager shares with them. Um, and so purely on that level, I think I think it's one of the, the most important games of the season for us. And again, not because of how it defines this current season that we're in, but because of what it does to the players and to their development. I don't know. There's just like a lot of fodder trophies that kind of like, you know, that, that clubs could put in their cabinet and say, look, we have, you know, 25,000 trophies, Yep. you know. Uh, and the FA Cup has kind of fallen behind, but I do regard it as kind of like the third most important thing Chelsea could win. You know, after the Champions League and after the Premier League, it's like kind of the FA Cup as like the next best thing. And I think it would do well for for Lampard and for the for this kind of like fairly young team to prove themselves on that level. I mean, when you're playing in a in a competition like the Champions League and you've already proven yourselves winners, like you could already say we are winners at least at this level. Like on the men's level, we have won a trophy. So winning another one, like the second trophy is going to be less important than the first one. I mean, not less important, but less nerve wracking because you've already won that first one. So I think next season, they'll go into it a lot more mature already. But next season with a trophy to their name, like if you can go into the next season, the difference between going into next season with I've, I've won nothing, we're still kind of like the scrappy young team that's still trying to go for it. The difference between that and going into it, like we're the FA Cup winners. We have a trophy, like we have a medal that we can wear around and like kind of show off that confidence that instills and that kind of, uh, what's that? Uh, 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 oh, that kind of like shedding of that imposter syndrome that some of these players might get. I mean, mental health is super important at this level for these players. And if you can kind of like shed of shed yourself of all those feelings of like you're an imposter at this level because you have this trophy and because you've proven yourself. I think going into those big games, it makes them a lot less nervous, especially because, you know, breaking that uh, losing streak against United is another thing where you you go against these big teams and it's not, it's not you know, young Tammy Abraham against, you know, the big scary Bayern Munich anymore. It's, you know, FA Cup winner Tammy Abraham against, you know, Bayern Munich. And it's, it's, it kind of evens the odds, at least in your head. And when those players stop becoming these like scary, you know, great players, you know, scary like Lewandowski type, where it's like, okay, I know he's, I've, I've watched him play. Like I'm young enough that I've watched him play and now I'm up and I'm like playing against him. It, it kind of lessens the myth of these like great players and makes you more on their level. So I think it's incredibly important in the mentality for these players, especially. Yeah. In 2004, when Jose Mourinho first arrived at Chelsea, um, and, and Frank, this is something that Frank Lampard writes and tells in his autobiography. But Frank Lampard says Jose Mourinho arrived and Chelsea were here in the United States, in LA. They were training at UCLA for the summer or for a couple of weeks in the summer. And at one point, Jose Mourinho pulls Frank Lampard aside um, to have a one-on-one conversation with him. And he tells him, you're in the top three best players in the world. And Frank Lampard goes, yeah, all right. He's just like trying to build my confidence. That's not really true. Um, but just Mourinho kind of just like pressed in on that a little bit more and said, no, you are in the top three players in the world. 
You just need to win some trophies. You haven't done that yet. But the second you start winning trophies, you will be recognized as one of the best players in the world. Sure enough, in 2005, it, at the, I think at the time, it was called the FIFA Men's Best Player Award. But essentially, it was the Ballon d'Or of, of its day. Um, Frank Lampard finishes second only to Ronaldinho as the second best player in the world. Um, and so, uh, of course, they won the league in 2004 and five, and it was at the end of that year that he gets that accolade. And so what trophies do to players and building their confidence and building a winning mentality is incredible. And I think that you see it with Chelsea and how no matter what manager has come in, no matter what players have come in and out, there has just been a winning mentality, which is why we can boast and say that over the last 20 years or whatever it's been, we've won 20 trophies. Or I think it's been like 18 years and 18 trophies in 18 years or something crazy as that like that. Because of that, I think that it would do a world of good to all of our young players. And for guys like Pedro and William, if he stays or if he goes... Giroud, um, I, I think that they need to be rewarded for their efforts this season because we have had to call on their experience many times when things weren't really going our way and when the young players didn't have that, you know, pep in their step. So I think just for everyone at the club, this would be a huge win and this would be something to actually celebrate um, as opposed to, uh, you know, making it into the final and, and, and just being this close but this far. Something that I do uh, that I that I do appreciate about Lampard is that it seems like he's kind of like that storm, that perfect storm that he kind of came of age in in the Chelsea years when there's you know managers coming in and out and trophies coming in and out. It seems like that kind of fostered a great manager where he can take some of that uh, winning mentality from Jose and some of that like free flowing attacking philosophy of Ancelotti, you know, kind of pick and choose every quality that he likes from every manager he's played under and kind of foster his own style out of it. Unfortunately, he hasn't taken the defensive solidness of Mourinho yet, but one day we'll be there, hopefully. But the funny thing about it is it's not really a surprise that the highest goal scorer of all time for our club loves scoring <laughs> goals but does not know how to That's lie. true. So I think that's very fitting for now. Yeah. Absolutely. One last thing I'd like to tell you, Maddie, and you know, forever, whoever else wants to know, it doesn't have to do with Chelsea, but I did find it very interesting Okay. that uh, I saw online uh, that a, a person on, on Reddit actually placed a bet on Jesse Lingard at the very beginning of the season that he would not score a single goal or make a single assist oh, throughout no. the entire season. And throughout the entire season, Jesse Lingard has made appearances here and there. <laughs> you know, he hasn't really... You know, done too much this season. He's been pretty. He's been pretty. He's kind of getting frozen out of that uh, United squad. And so, in the last match of the season against Leicester, Jesse Lingard gets uh, subbed on at the 77th minute. No goals, no assists so far. And at the 98th minute, eighth minute of injury time, oh, no. Jesse Lingard scores with one of the last oh, touches of the game. How much would this guy have won? I have no idea, but it must have been a lot. It oh. just got ruined by Jesse Lingardino, one I of mean, the greatest if, players of our generation. If that's not the essence of Jesse Lingard, ruining <laughs> things for people, I, I don't know what else is, you know? I thought that was, if, if anything, that's the way that Jesse Lingard needs to go out on his career, ruining somebody's bet online. <laughs> Unbelievable. For now, that's the end of our show. Continuing on 
the tradition of uh, great endings. Yeah, fantastic ending. Just Thanks. Like season, drama free. Yeah, it's the end. Go home. We're done. What are you still doing here? Yeah, even if you're listening from home, go home. <laughs> go to bed. I don't know when you're listening to this. We did forget to mention, um, if you ah. are not subscribed yet, go ahead and subscribe to Academy of Blues, wherever you get your podcasts. And we also want to let you know that if you want to submit any questions, comments, concerns, any emails where you want to talk to us, you can email us at academyofblues at gmail.com. All right. Well, that's been our show. I've been Daniel. And I've been Maddie. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.